This is Melanie Ake. Today on Everyday Leaders, you'll meet Robert Plotkin, a patent attorney that teaches us about technology for mindfulness, and he will lead us through a great exercise that you're going to love. excited to share what's happening at Everyday Leaders. Go to everydayleaders.com. Subscribe to my website where you can learn strategies to become a leader in your own life. On the everydayleaders.com podcast page, you can connect to the guest of the 2019 Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 Leadership Summit and listen to your favorite episodes of the Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. Now, if you're ready to take the next step and become a leader in your own life, go to my Everyday Leaders store select the life strategies courses, corporate strategy workshops, or even personal coaching. Go to everydayleaders.com, subscribe, and keep up to date on all of our programs and valuable leadership lessons. When you subscribe to Everyday Leaders, you'll be entered into our monthly giveaway to receive a round to it. If you need accountability in your life, this is a great way to start. Go to everydayleaders.com and become a leader in your life. Welcome to Everyday Leaders 50 and 50, the founder of Technology for Mindfulness, Robert Plotkin. Welcome. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks so much for having me. I am really excited because there's so many things that our world circle around, and I think we're going to have a great conversation here tonight about leadership, things that you're doing. You are a practicing attorney, a patent attorney. And, and so when we talk about things in my world of medical devices, I love that because it's taking people through a process to get something specifically identified that they have belief and power to promote into the community. And you're a big part of that. And so what you're also doing is tying in this, um, now this teaching for technology and mindfulness. So I can't wait to dig in and have you share with us What's going on in your world? And tell us more about all of it. Yeah, I'll tell you how I came to this work on technology and mindfulness. I've been a patent attorney for over 20 years, focusing on patents for computer technology, particularly software. I studied computer science at MIT before I became a lawyer. And so what I do in that world is help inventors and high-tech companies get legal protection for their inventions. And as you can imagine, requires me to think really deeply uh, while I'm working with clients, understand their technology and their inventions in depth. Every case I work on involves some new, often br- groundbreaking technology. I have to write patent applications. You know, these are long, detailed legal and technical documents. It requires a lot of concentration, bringing together my understanding of the technology and law uh, to to write a patent application that's thorough, accurate, satisfies all the legal requirements. And what I found after being someone who for most of my life and career was really good at focusing, uh, 
that as technology was evolving, and look, I'm a, I'm a geek from a young age. I love using computers and have to use technology for my business and my work all the time. I, you know, like everyone else, and I'm sure you can relate, starting in the late 90s, going through the 2000s, started to find I was having a harder and harder time concentrating, mm -hmm. doing my work, you know, sitting at a computer, uh, writing. Because why? Well, the web came along, smartphones, constant internet connectivity, uh, clients messaging all the time. And I found I was getting distracted, interrupted, and less focused. And it was really uh, interrupting my ability to do my work, uh, run my business. It was a really radical change that, in one sense, felt like it happens quickly, but of course occurred gradually over the course of years. And that's what motivated me to start working on what eventually became technology for mindfulness. It started with my own struggle to regain focus in the face of technology, and knowing that giving up on using technology was not an option for me uh, in my professional life. I had to use it, and I loved using technology. And so uh, we can talk a lot more about this. In, in essence, what I did was draw on both my knowledge of technology as a computer scientist, but also the background that I had in many years of martial arts training and mindfulness meditation to use the techniques I had learned from those practices to retrain my mind and my body to stay focused in the face of what we all know can feel like a, a constant assault on our attention from today's technology. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when you speak about this, I teach a lot of leadership classes. And one of the chapters that comes to my mind is we talk about this, this concept or this law of design. And thinking about you as a patent attorney, thinking about technology and how it's changing our worlds, it, it takes me back to that conversation I always have with clients is, if you don't design your life to simplify it, right, your life will design you. <laughs> yeah. and, and so as you speak into this, so much of this, I, I would like to understand some of the things that you've come across with clients from a patent perspective things that have come to you that you've said, oh, this is perfect, this is going to be easy, this makes sense, versus the ones that may appear like a shark tank, right? I believe in this, I've designed this, I've spent tons of money thinking about this, but there's a lot of challenges with it. You know, what? tell me about those approaches, yeah, well, when uh, first of all, I will say that even after being a patent attorney for all these years, and I think anyone who's an investor will also tell you the same thing, I have developed more and more humility about my ability to predict what kind of product <laughs> is really going to work <laughs> out in the world or is going to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think anyone who tells you that they can do that is lying to you. You know, any venture capitalist will tell you their strategy, right, is for every 10 uh, companies they invest in, they expect nine to fail mm -hmm. because it's, it's so hard. I mean, I can speak to what's challenging from my perspective to patent uh -huh. or to, uh, to work on from a legal perspective mm -hmm. uh, and how I work through that on, uh, from my side and work through that with, with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
I, I won't pretend to be able to tell you what's easy to succeed uh, from a business perspective when it comes to new uh, new inventions. I, I don't have a crystal ball <laughs> into that. <laughs> no, but I think it's so interesting, though, because when you go through a process, you know, it's um, it's for your clients, right? It's joining them in their journey to say, let's try this. Let's get this approved. Let's get this through to a level that it can then be promoted, sold, um, directed, you know, help to connect to a customer, a certain, um, you know, manufacturer, a certain industry, right, that it's going to affect and it's going to help. And and you're a big part of that because you've got to take all of that information as they come to design it the right way so that it gets approved for the proper uses. Yeah, and in fact, a big part of my role as a patent attorney is to obtain patent protection for the client in a way that keeps open as many doors as possible for them from a business perspective, specifically because we often don't know in advance how a product like a piece of software is going to be used commercially. Mm -hmm. So very often a client will come to me, let's say they're in the early stages of the company or of a new product line, and they might have uh, a particular use or market in mind. You know, let's just make up an example, like some kind of an algorithm for matching uh, buyers and sellers in the uh, uh hospitality space, you know, a new kind of uh, uh, Airbnb for matching people. I'll just make that up. Mm -hmm. Now, it's part of my job to look at that invention and say, well, you know, this matching algorithm, maybe you're thinking right now of using this for uh, people looking for a place to stay. But that algorithm could be used for matching up people who want to buy cars with sellers of cars or for any other kind of product. And you know the value I add there in helping the client think through that kind of thing is that companies early on, sometimes uh, they end up pivoting later from a business perspective, mm-hmm. right? They end up using their core technology a few years down the road in a way that they didn't envision from the beginning. And I wouldn't be doing my job or service to them if I obtained patent protection for them that was limited, let's say, to using that algorithm for for housing when that's not what they use it for later. Mm-hmm. So part, if you talk about the process I go through with clients, the client comes to me, they're the expert in the technology that they've invented. That My job is to learn that from them, be open to hearing about that and understanding it from them. They often are expert in what the current market conditions are, what who their competitors are. But where I, what I can bring to the table is helping them to broaden their understanding of how the technology might be applied commercially and to help them think longer term down the road so that they get legal protection that might cover the different directions that their business might go in in the future. Here's just another example in terms of the process and how we end up collaborating with clients uh, is to think through, you know, I often have a startup company who will come in and say, you know, uh, we don't need to expand the patent to cover uses X, Y, and Z. We're not planning to ever use the technology for that purpose. And I say, yeah, but isn't, isn't one of your possible exit strategies to be acquired 
by you know some big behemoth company in your industry, and if they were to acquire you, wouldn't they find it valuable perhaps to be able to use this patent to protect them in another field that you are not currently planning to ever enter into? Uh, so when you start thinking down the pathways that a business might go in, uh, you might end up tailoring the legal protection uh, in a specific way that you wouldn't if you were only thinking shorter term, you know, quarter to quarter, which understandably many companies are focused on. They're focused on getting revenue right away or the next quarter. That's where all the pressure's coming, coming on to, for them. And it's part of my job to help them think through longer term because often you can get substantially more legal protection in that way for only incrementally more cost or effort. And this does come back to what I started talking about, which is the need to be able to sit down in quiet and really think through, uh, from my perspective, the client's invention, technology, business goals in a really deep way. That requires some focused time. If all you have is is constantly interrupted segments of time, as we often find ourselves having, it's hard to engage in that kind of long-term, deep, expansive thinking. And so what do you use as far as strategies to help you keep focused in those times? There's a wide range, and this is why I, I formed and launched Technology for Mindfulness through the, the blog. We have our own podcast. We have online courses. We promote a whole variety of strategies. Some of them are very simple and low-tech. Uh, they don't all require technology. In fact, some of them may sound uh, ridiculously simple, <laughs> but scheduling your time, blocking your time out in certain ways uh, is very, very effective. I schedule time for checking, reading, writing email so that I am not – now, in my industry, email is still really widely used. I know there's a lot of people these days who aren't using email. They might be on Slack or some other form of messaging. Whatever the form of messaging is that you're using, if you are constantly involved in messaging without any structure imposed on it, I guarantee you, you're thinking – is going to be really fragmented. It's going to be hard to engage in that kind of deep thought, which if you're in any kind of creative industry or consulting industry, industry like mine, where you need to be in, in advising clients, thinking deeply long-term, it's going to be really hard to do. So I put checking email into my calendar. Mm -hmm. Some people say, oh, that's ridiculous. It would never work. Uh, but one thing I impress upon people is, even if that only gives you uh, a 10% improvement, a 20% improvement over how you're doing things now, that can be really significant. Even if you don't always perfectly stick to the schedule that you set for yourself, I say as long as you set it, you make an effort to stick to it and you stick to it more than you would have if you had no structure you're ahead of the game mm -hmm. and you've made you're, you'll find yourself making significant improvements. Uh, let me give two, two more examples. The, uh, I could break, break down the strategies into external and internal. External means things you change outside of yourself in your environment, like how you configure your technology. I'm a big 
fan of and promoter of Do Not Disturb. Uh, comes in many forms on different devices, but you know, on Apple devices, they call it Do Not Disturb. We're on your phone. You turn it on and you, it blocks notifications. A phone calls, text messages. I'm always amazed at how many people don't know that Do Not Disturb exists or don't use it frequently. It's gotten a lot more sophisticated over the years where you can have it turn on automatically when you're driving or while you're in, a, in an appointment that's on your calendar. That's a kind of external control. Do Not Disturb is what I'd call low-hanging fruit with a very, very small amount of effort by turning it on and blocking notifications, you get a huge return in terms of focus and uh, reducing distractions. Many, there's many, many kinds of these external strategies you can use. Internal is changing yourself, changing your own habits. Uh, in some ways, of course, that can take more work, uh, be more effort. It requires practice but can also have, I think, often a bigger payoff because you don't need to be reliant on a device to help you stay focused if you change your own habits. Uh, I, I'd be glad to give you uh, an example of uh, an exercise that I've developed. It's part of our course that's called Tap Into Mindfulness, which is an online course, it's something you can do with me here and people listening along can follow along in about 30 seconds in an abridged version. Would you be interested in trying it out? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, wake up your phone. And if you're looking at the home screen now, find an icon for an app that often really sucks you into it. It's something that you find yourself using way longer than you'd like to, you know, for many people. Candy that, crush. That, that, <laughs> candy crush. There you go. Okay, you didn't have to hesitate at all. <laughs> you know, it could be Instagram, whatever it is. Now, you have to listen very carefully. This is going to be like Simon Says, if you remember that game uh, from childhood. Where, where, listen to my instructions. Don't tap on anything until I say so. For anyone listening, if you've already tapped on that icon, you flunked. You've gone too far. <laughs> no flunking. There's no, there's no judgment for me, but you've gone a little too far. Back out of it if you have tapped. Here's the exercise take your finger and start slowly moving it towards the icon, but stop just before you touch the screen. Oh. So your finger <laughs> is hovering. I hear you laughing. <laughs> Nervous laughter usually means some kind of feeling of guilt. Yeah. Or that. It's very common. It's the most common reaction that people have when I try this. But they, there's nervous laughter uh, because you know how hard it is to stop. And you've probably never done this before, right? You've never moved your finger towards that icon and stopped rather no. than tap. So you stop. You're not tapping, your finger's hovering. Now, in the course, we go into a lot of detail here where I lead you through getting in touch with what you're actually feeling now. I can t I'm doing this along with you on my email. I, I can tell you my chest is feeling tight, right? My heart's starting to beat a little bit faster just thinking about that, uh, that email that's waiting for me there. Mm -hmm. Your breath may stop. That's very common, or your breath may get very shallow. You may have thoughts racing through your head. In the course, I lead, I lead people through getting in touch with what they're actually feeling and thinking and experiencing. 
so this is a very quick run through this exercise. Now you would pull your finger away from the screen and put the phone to sleep. So one aspect of this, oh, yeah, okay, you can breathe out now. <laughs> you can relax. <laughs> My watch is telling me to breathe. It's vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a big part of that, I, I, I led into this by saying, one thing you can do is train new habits. One thing you've done, whether you realize it or not, you just practiced moving your finger towards that icon and then pulling it away without tapping. You can do what I call rep training, like in the gym where you pick up the dumbbell and do 10, 20 reps in a row. You can pick up your phone, find that icon, move your finger towards the screen, stop, pull your finger away. Move your finger towards the screen, stop, pull it away. Do that 20, 30 times in a row. What are you doing? You're drilling in the habit. You're practicing the habit of stopping yourself before you instinctively and automatically tap that icon so that tomorrow or some other time when you are feeling stressed out, when you're not thinking about things, which we all do, we get caught up, and you instinctively go to tap on that candy crush, you will be more likely to pause because you've drilled that pause in. So you're training yourself actually to not act. You're unlearning this instinctive habit loop, which the phone and your use of it and Candy Crush have drilled into your mind and your body un unintentionally, but very powerfully. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll stop here in a moment. Where I, I started out by saying this came from my background in martial arts and, and mindfulness training. Uh, you know, this is very similar to drills you would do in a martial arts practice, uh, where <clears throat> when someone attacks you, you uh, actually learn to pause. Why? To unlearn your instinctive fight or flight reaction to that attack. And as, as, as you unlearn <clears throat> the fight or flight response, you can replace it with new responses, like moving out of the way or blocking or something else. It's the instinctive responses, which to a certain extent sometimes can be productive, but we know that when they uh, get out of control, like they often do with our phones, they can end up being counterproductive. So this is an example of replacing, you know, basically unlearning a harmful habit that we've all developed and then replacing it with a new one. Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing. As I walk through that, I think so many things, right? A lot of people, I love what you said about the nervousness, right? So there are many times when we find people in social settings, in groups with work cultures or teams or whatever, and they may not be checking anything important on a device, but it's kind of like, I'm going to go into this space. I'm going to take my mind here because I don't want to be here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's an easy way. And, and we've all just kind of, you know, kids have them. Everybody in our culture has some sort of a technology device that takes them away, away from the setting and into their own space. So whatever it is they're practicing, if it's a game, if it's an app, if it's email, right? Many of us have a lot of responsibilities and we check email in the car and at stoplights and, you know, at mm -hmm. restaurants. And so, but it, it appears to other people around, right, that we are not in, in the moment. And so, I think I found many times uh, I've talked to people that some things that they try even is at, when they're with their families, you know, they don't take their phones to a restaurant or 
the rule is they have to stay in the car. Or the rule is, you know, at the dinner table, they don't, they're not allowed to have, have those devices. Because it is that fact of if you can train yourself to just remove it for that certain period of time. You know, what did we do before when we only had one phone in the house and it had a cord on it? Right? <laughs> how did we do that? And, yeah, and I like the fact that you've brought up how you can do this in your family because you know, that takes us to the next level, which is the social the social level. There's a lot people can do individually, but this can become uh, easier to do and we can all feel more supported when we do this with each other. That can be in your family, could be at a workplace where uh, uh, on a team People can agree maybe to certain times when they won't be messaging each other. Uh, there's a great book that came out a few years ago called Sleeping With Your Smartphone by a, a consultant who worked with teams of consultants, you know, really high-powered consultants working 80, 100 hours a week. And one of the practices that she instituted with these teams was to have a rotating – it's a team of five people. Each person would get a different night a week when they would know they weren't expected to message the other team members and no one else would expect them to respond to messages. So Joe would get Monday night and Sally would get Tuesday night. And the power of that was that, you know, when Monday night came and Joe knew this is my night to be off and I know my other team members won't judge me or be looking to me, I won't be letting them down when I'm not on email or messaging on this night, because we've all agreed to it. Mm -hmm. That would let him take that night off and not feel anxious about it. Mm -hmm. And what she found was that there were just so many ripple effects. It just increased morale because it gave people a, a higher level feeling that other members of the team cared about them and were supportive of them and that they were all doing this for each other. It wasn't three of them doing it for one person. You know, each person was doing it for everyone else. And it was a very little amount of time, you know? So instead of 80 hours a week, they might've been working 77 <laughs> hours a week. But the, the, the positive impact in terms of morale and feeling supported and being able to get a little bit of downtime was much greater than just the number of hours in, in reduced work. Mm -hmm. So I think we shouldn't overlook the power of, coming to agreements with each other about this and how it can help us feel uh, about each other and then feel connected with each other when we do have time together uh, that's, that's not on devices. Like you said, I think meals is something many people talk about. It's very powerful. Look, we've, we've evolved as a species you know, to feel comforted and supportive and protective of each other at mealtimes. I think all cultures see mealtimes as a, a, a sacred time to be focused on each other and be, be present with each other. And so that's why mealtimes is one, one particularly important time to have that kind of shared agreement about not having devices present. Mm -hmm. What do you think about uh, when I um, – and I wanted to ask you this, just coming from the the kids, right? The kids that are learning that are creating spaces for games. You know, they have been on these game systems. And uh, and now they're able, <laughs> I have a great story personally, but I won't go into that today. But the kids that are actually productive on these games, that they are helping each other achieve 
um, certain levels, they are creating businesses from these things. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, the, the technology space of they're going to school and they and, and they may be great students, um, but they get criticized because they are using their games as kind of a, a, an escape, but also a strength. You know, they found something that they're really good at. And so they're using that then. And some of them are creating businesses around kind of the structure of helping other kids, you know, achieve levels in games, or they have, um, they're using it as kind of a service because they know that they have become, you know, they have (laughs) up-leveled, if you want to say that. But it's really interesting because they're not just doing, they're not just using the technology, they're actually creating a space for themselves around the technology and what it offers. Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting uh, issue. I don't think there's an easy uh, answer to it. I think how healthy uh, and productive it is depends on the age of the children you're talking about. Uh, and also it's a question of balance. And that's true not just for kids, but for adults. I think that for anyone of any age, if you're engaged in building a business or a community online, there's nothing really wrong with that. But if you step back, if someone is only interacting with other people online and not in person, that can be unhealthy Mm -hmm. in various ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's why I say this is complicated. Uh, It's hard to answer in the abstract. And I think that as you're looking at younger and younger children, just biologically, it is important for the younger you go for children to be interacting with their parents, adults, and other kids in person because biologically we were evolved to develop certain communication skills, physical skills uh, in the physical world. And uh, not to sound uh, alarmist, but there are certain time limits on when you can learn those things, right? We know that language develops uh, spoken language develops best up to a certain age, and you don't have the same capacity to learn spoken language as you get older. And to the extent we understand it, and this is not my area of expertise, you know, to a certain extent, the same is true when it comes to social skills, about interacting, learning about uh, body language and facial cues and social cues and how to interact emotionally with someone face-to-face. Uh, I am concerned that if there's an imbalance of that with with someone at a young age where they're using devices to communicate online too exclusively with other people from too young an age, it could set them up to have deficits later on in life. And as I said earlier, that's true for adults too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think uh, it's important for everyone to look at their their own life, whether it's in their business or personally, and just make sure that they are... Uh, balancing out, communicating with people online, with having good, connected, face-to-face, in-person time with with each other. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I bring this up because there's so many people that I'm surrounded by that they are their kids are in middle school or high school or college, mostly the middle school age kids, right? And so maybe a punishment if they haven't done something that they need to be doing will be that they take their phone away. 
Mm-hmm. And so many times I am in, in social circles and they'll talk about the depression that the kids get because they can't connect. Like that's their power of connection um, yeah. with other kids, right? They post the things that they've been doing. And so it's more of this positive impact or positive influence that they're using it for. And if they don't have that means to communicate, it's kind of like, I don't feel connected. Right. And that's such, that is such the mindset behavior (laughs) that, Mm -hmm. that, so, you know, as a patent attorney, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, but (laughs) because you're so wrapped up in this space, have you thought yourself about designing something that may help society? In this next phase, yeah, I mean, I, I I haven't spoken about it here yet, but I, I am an inventor on uh, quite a number of patents on my own technologies that I've designed, uh, all of which involve addressing distraction uh, interruption by by technology. Mm-hmm. So I have a bunch of patents that relate to ways of managing notifications and controlling notifications so that you're not interrupted by your device when you don't want to be. Uh, I've gotten my own patents on technologies for, for doing what you might think of as the opposite, which is how to help you uh, get back on track mm-hmm. after you've been interrupted or distracted mm-hmm. by technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do think about this a lot, so I, and I've done a lot of work on it. Uh, and and there is starting to be more uh, tech companies, some to a certain extent, the big tech companies, I always like to give kudos to the big companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft for the work they've been doing. I think it's uh, took them too long to start their what they've called their digital health and well-being initiatives. Uh, but they're doing it now. So I give them praise for that. And there's a lot of startups working on trying to create technology that would strike a new balance. Uh, and there's a lot of creative work going on. I mean, I think the time that we're in now is really the infancy of communication technology. It was thrust upon us, and then we all started using it without really understanding how it would impact how we interact with each other, how it would impact our relationships with each other, how it would impact our attention, our stress level, our ability to sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these things. And now we are trying to catch up uh, to all of these effects that have happened very much just over the last 10 years or so. I mean, people forget that the first iPhone only came out about 10 years ago. It mm-hmm. might seem like 50 years ago mm-hmm. you know, because it's become so ingrained in our lives. But there are, uh, there are people working on this now. And that's really encouraging to me uh, that both we can do things to take control over our own lives by changing our habits, by by engaging in these kinds of practices you talked about with our families, not having phones at the, at the dinner table in businesses by, uh, and, and I, you know, this is about leadership. I think in businesses, it's really important for the tone and the culture to be not entirely set from the top down, but it sure helps mm-hmm. when leaders set their own, uh, their own tone for the business by example, by policies, by practices, uh, And uh, there's a lot that can be done also in the redesign of technology. That's a whole other, it's a whole other topic. But the reason I mentioned that is, you know, uh, 
I'm a big believer in changing our habits, but I also am a believer in the fact that we shouldn't have to be spending so much of our time and personal energy to fight against what our devices are doing and the impact they're having on us. Uh, you know, we have to do it because that's the situation we're in. But I'd prefer to see the technology designed in what's sometimes called a human-centric way be designed so that it doesn't, uh, out of the box, uh, distract us in ways that are counterproductive, so that it's designed to be respectful of our attention and creativity and focus and desire to interact with each other face to face without being, you know, uh, have, trying to grab our attention from us. And there are ways in which that uh, can be done. So I'm, I'm glad to see both startups and big companies moving in that direction. That's so awesome. I am so inspired by talking to you tonight. This is really great. <laughs> I'm writing down some ideas. <laughs> That's great. I'll be coming to Massachusetts to talk to you about these. Um, this has been really wonderful, Robert, um, because so many things that you know, you're know you using in the world are going to help people with this next, kind of this next wave right? The th things that are coming. And Simon Sinek talks about the millennial generation and how people view the millennial generation. And I've talked to a lot of people that have opinions on millennials and how they think about the workspace and the environments and how they use technology. And, and I think, you know, it comes right down to what you just said, is that technology has just showed up. People invented it and we have to adapt to it. And so whatever that looks like in our future, we have to be able to change and, and not be afraid and try the things that uh, we connect to and use that for the purposes that, that are going to help us and help us be stronger. And those things that don't do that, then we just can put those away and put those on silent and put those out of our life. And, but use those things that can enhance our lives to be more productive in society. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, like the exercise I, I led you through earlier where you pause, when you pause, however you do it, that's what gives you the opportunity to make a decision about what to do next. Mm -hmm. And I, I really like that you point out that we have a choice. That's what I always like to remind people about. It often can feel when you're using uh, your smartphone like, it's controlling you. Like you don't have a choice. When I do this work, I, when I ask people what they're struggling with, they use words like, I have to check Facebook, or I have to do this, or it makes me do that, as <laughs> if the phone is controlling it. It can feel that way. But when you pause and reflect, you can experience the fact that as strong as that feeling that the phone is controlling you may be, it's not actually true you do have the capacity to stop and put the phone down if you pause and create that space, which may only be for a few seconds. And it does take, it does take practice though. Uh, it may sound strange to people, but the fact is we, <laughs> we developed the habits we have with our phones by practicing them over and over again without realizing it, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? We've been trained, you've been trained to hit that candy crush icon. We've been trained to tap our email or text message icon. We trained those habits into ourselves unintentionally over the course of the last year. So we can train new habits 
intentionally to develop the new habits we want. We have the power to do it. We have the ability to, to choose to do it. And we also know from modern neuro, neuroscience that even as adults, our brains are plastic enough uh, to, to be rewired again. So why not do that intentionally in the way we want to, to rewire our own brains instead of just letting the technology do it to us? Absolutely. Man, Robert, how can people, what are you doing next? How can people connect to you? Yeah, people can always get in touch uh, with me and Technology for Mindfulness at technologyformindfulness.com. Our blog is there. Our podcast is there. We have a course, Tap Into Mindfulness, uh, which consists of a series of guided exercises like the one that I led you through earlier. It's an online course. We're going to be launching a new version specifically targeted at parents and children. The existing version is generic for anyone, including professionals and business leaders. Uh, if you go to askmindful.com, you can fill out a short survey and you'll get a 50% off the Tap Into Mindfulness course. Wow. And then you can take that course at any time and it will lead you through practicing these kinds of exercises to rewire your brain and body to interact with technology more intentionally and deliberately and mindfully, let you take back control over how you use your smartphone. Wow. Be more productive. Be like Robert. That could be a book. (laughs) (laughs) And I struggle with this as much as anyone else. So if you be like me, believe me, you know you'll be struggling. But I I share with people what I've learned, what's worked, what hasn't worked. So, you know, they can get leapfrog over me just a little bit. Well, that's what this is all about. Robert, I so appreciate you being on Everyday Leaders tonight. This has been really wonderful, great information. I'm sure my listeners are going to just go through the roof and and really appreciate this. Um, something we can all use in our life every single day. Oh, great, Melanie. I, I really, really enjoyed being on here. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Have a great 2019, Robert. You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Melanie Ake with Everyday Leaders. I wanted to invite you to join my leadership class. It's Life Strategies 101, where I'm going to take you through the everyday 15 laws of growth. It's an amazing journey. It's 15 weeks with me as your personal coach. Join me, everydayleaders.com, and sign up today.